0: Well, it's that time of year again, isn't it, where we uh, go digging through the boxes that we put away in January with all the Christmas decorations and everything and uh, start to rifle through and, and find what we left in haste in January. Some of you perhaps already done that. You maybe were keeners somewhere in November, but the rest of us are neck deep in digging out decorations right now. And so you pull out the Christmas story under the decorations. There are many Christmas stories. was the night before Christmas went all through the house. That's one of them. Written back in 1822, a visit from St. Nicholas. But there's also a story that... Um, has been told for several thousand years now. It's the Christmas story. Sometimes we get caught up in the two different stories in our culture. What's the difference? Well, to Dr. Luke, who set out to present his version of the gospel story, there's a significant difference between Would you turn your Bibles to to Luke chapter 1 this morning as we spend a few weeks together on this season with respect to the Christmas story. Luke uh, wrote this story, um, his version of uh, the presentation of Jesus Christ, about 60 years or so after the birth of Christ. It's a retrospective on some thorough investigation that he made. And it seems that he wrote to an individual by the name of Theophilus. There's a lot of different theories of who Theophilus was. I'm uh, particularly fond of uh, the idea that Theophilus may have been a brand new believer, likely a Gentile by his name, Theophilus. Uh, Luke was a Gentile, and I'd like to think that maybe, maybe the old sage himself, Luke, took this young believer, this new believer under his wings and said, um, I, I want to mentor you. I, I want to I present to you a, a thorough presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, he started out his story this way many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abia. His wife, Elizabeth, was also descended descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, this morning, as we um, pause to review a story that has been told to us many times, no doubt. It has been by your choice to be the introductory events of the good news of Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And so, Father, it's of... Prime importance for us to understand why you chose to highlight this incident. What strong message you wanted to present to us and how you wanted to help us and prepare us for the coming of the Lord.
1: I pray, Father, that
0: we might not review this as a nostalgic presentation that sets us up for Christmas, but rather a strategic word from God to our hearts this morning that will speak clearly to our situation. The story of an older couple who were serving the Lord with all of their hearts and living a life of disappointment. Father, you have determined to give us some explanation of that. Help us to understand your your ways. Even though your ways are above our ways as far as the heaven is above the earth, you, because you love us, choose to give us insight into who you are, revealing your character and nature to us, that it might establish us firmly that we might be certain of the things we have been taught. Lord, I pray that you might uh, drill that into the very bedrock of our hearts, that we might not be blown away by the difficult circumstances that meet us just around the corner, knowing full well that you love us and care for us thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Evidently, the presentation here from Luke was fundamentally presented to to be an apologetic and to teach us to be certain. To tell us that you can be certain of the things that you have been taught. And to help us to to forge a, a life direction Based upon that certainty from the things that we have from God's word. And and Luke uh, is very careful in his presentation. He points out that there are several reasons why, in fact, we ought to be certain why Theophilus, in this case, could be a a young man of faith and could, could have his faith founded on certainty. He said that the account of the things that I'm about to present to you are fulfillments. These are promises that have been made to us by eternal God. Theophilus, if you were to take the time to search back in the Old Testament writings, you would find that that the things that I'm about to tell you have been recorded for us as promises from the living God centuries before, that this account... Was fulfilled. Not only that, this is the compilation of a series of eyewitness accounts, Theophilus. I've set apart to 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 gather newspaper clippings over these some thirty or forty years of uh, of investigation. This is not the uh, fabrication of a of one man sitting in a room coming up with an imaginary story. There's a series of corroborating evidences from the very words of those people who were there. Not only that, Theophilus, you maybe don't know, but I'm a doctor. and As a physician, I have learned some of the rigors of scientific investigation. That kind of uh, study matters to me. So this is not slapped together. I have set apart to make an orderly series of investigations, carefully done, investigating everything from the beginning, Theophilus. I put a lot of work into this. And I'm satisfied that I'm presenting to you something that you can be certain of. With that as a backdrop, I, I think the only proper way to unwrap this story is to note from the very beginning that Luke establishes in this presentation of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and John uh, two central dominating realities of theology. Because it's the story of God. It's the good news of God. And by the way, these two dominating realities are the centerpiece Uh, of how you live your life, of when you live your life. This is about a sovereign, totally in charge of things, God, who, who brings about events and the timing of those events with absolute and unchallenged control. And secondly, whether people are faithless, and or faith-filled at times. God does for people what they do not deserve. Theophilus, uh, I'm setting about by introducing the good news of Jesus Christ to establish these two dominating realities, that God is sovereign and totally in charge, and he is gracious. And that's why I want to tell you the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to point that out to you. I want you to see that with your very own eyes. I've done the investigation. Now pay attention. Here's how the story starts. "'Twas the night before any night. And God is in control and God is gracious. Theophilus, you can write that in your journal every single day." Tomorrow God will be in sovereign and in control, and tomorrow God will be gracious, and the day after that God will be in control, and God will be gracious. And the day after that, every day of your life, Theophilus. I wonder if the young man didn't say to him, "Well, I couldn't help but notice, Dr. Luke, that it seems to me that Herod is the, the king, the sovereign. It seems to me that maybe he's the dominating reality of this story, because that's how you start in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Well, Theophilus, my young mentor, he he thought he was. He was making a kingdom of things, Uh, very successful at it, by the way, man made things symbols of one's kingship and dominance. Things that tell people, don't mess with me. I'll bring lots of trouble into your life. Things like the domination of amazing buildings and and, and grand properties filled with valued possessions where people grovel for tidbits of attention, living by luck and using people as stepping stones, occasionally as building blocks to get yourself to the top. A kingdom where people get what they deserve or hope they get what they deserve or, or think they hope they do, but regularly do. Look carefully, Theophilus. For Herod, king of Judea, is just a time marker Just a date marker. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. No credentials listed because he didn't have any that really interested the the Lord of glory. It isn't a story about the kingdom of man and the things he thinks matter so much like slaves full of toys and St. Nicholas too. Herod isn't in charge. He's the puppet sovereign Pretending to be in control. I want you to look more closely. Look more closely, Theophilus. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiyah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were upright in the sight of God. I'll tell you what interests God people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they catch God's notice. God is pulling back the curtain and showing us what real sovereignty looks like. Who's the one who put King Herod in charge? And who's the one who will remove him several years from now? In Romans 13, 1, there is no authority except that which God has established. God's real interest was in a priest and his wife Connected to a kingdom of people, upright in God's sight, a couple of people who were treating God as if He were king. That's who interests God. Because God is about to demonstrate to you, Theophilus, that He is the sovereign one. He's about to demonstrate to Zechariah and Elizabeth that, that He's totally in charge. constructs a series of events here in his newspaper clippings that he pastes together. I want you to notice how many coincidences occur. It says here that um, Zechariah's division in verse 8 was serving as priest before God. He was one of the men. And it says there, he was chosen by lot. It just so happens that even the lot obeys the will of God. And he was chosen that he might go and at this very high moment of religious worship in verse 10, at the very time of the burning of incense and the assembled worshipers when they were all praying outside at this very high moment of ceremony, an angel shows up. Imagine that. What a coincidence. Just at that time, an angel is summoned by God to show up When the time is right, summoned by the king of kings to tell him that, by the way, Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a child. But not just any child, a boy child. Imagine being able, Theophilus, to predict in advance that the chromosomes, the Y and the X chromosome, would line up just exactly the way God wanted it to produce in all of the makeup of the genetic material an individual who would have the character and disposition precisely the way I wanted it to be, the God of the universe. And then this angel shows up and it says that um, he's been sent by God to speak in verse 19 and now... Zechariah, you will be silent. Who, who can speak to someone and they are now silent? Theophilus, bring to me any kings that you've ever heard of like this king. Can King Herod do that? Can he say words and at the proper time they will come true? The end of verse 20. And then at the very time of the end and completion of the service, he goes home to his wife and she becomes pregnant That's sovereignty, Theophilus. That's what it means to be really in charge. God um, keeps for himself that kind of control for our lives. Theophilus, you were not born by accident. You will not live by accident. You will not die by accident. Psalmist reminds us in Psalm 139 that all of our days are ordained by God before even one of them is lived. You are not the product of fate or foible, luck or coincidence. Tough things are not random and good things are not good fortune, Theopolis. They are a series of the workings of a sovereign God who retains. The right to be in charge of his universe and everything in it. God is a purposeful God who fulfills his purposes on behalf of the kingdom of people who serve him and love him and who he rules over in a sovereign way. So, Theophilus, here's what I want you to be certain of you're in really good hands. The second dominating reality, Theophilus, is this that God is gracious. Which means God does for people what they don't deserve. Let's look back at Zechariah and Elizabeth. At their resume. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is a daughter and descendant of the priestly line of Aaron. It says of them that they were both upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Can you imagine? Is there a couple who are equal to them? Think about it. When God outlines the resume of of a couple, and he says, I want you to know about this couple, they... They serve me with with all of their hearts. They, They keep all of the commandments and regulations. Not some of them. They're not selective in what they do blamelessly. And all of this, in spite of not enjoying the simple pleasure that most families take for granted, they were childless. They had no children. Not because they hadn't dedicated themselves to the Lord, because there have been years of dedication and service and praying and trusting, and year after year it rolls around, and celebrations and ceremonies reminded them that uh, they were still childless again this year. And, and in this great company of people there, once again, Christmas rolls around, and, and I wonder what kind of disappointments are still lodged in your life. I wonder if it, um, it caused Theophilus to look at Dr. Luke and say, that's not fair. <laughs> they deserve better. I mean, listen to the resume. Don't, they, don't, don't we think that when we read it? Think, wow, they, they deserve better. Where's the grace? I thought grace was getting what you don't deserve for the good. They seem to be getting what they don't deserve and it's bad. Theophilus had an interesting name, really. It um, in Greek means lover of God. How about that? Regardless of his name, though, somewhere along the line he had to personally encounter the truth of a sovereign and a great God who is gracious and put his trust in him and be certain and confident. And so maybe as a young believer, he's seen the pain of others who have been following the Lord year after year, disappointment after disappointment. Maybe, maybe even he's felt the sting of personal disappointment himself. He came to faith in Christ and, and everything didn't correct itself immediately. Luke is encouraging him to stand fast. Don't lose your footing, Theophilus. Stay with me. Let's, let's dig a little deeper in Zach's, uh, Zach's life here. Yes, Zachariah was a priest and was fulfilling the rigors of his role as a priest, man of God in great detail, serving God with all of his heart. And, and of course, as we read here, he was a praying man because the angel said, your prayers have been answered. So he'd been praying over all these years and, and faithful in his prayer, but, but somehow all of that wasn't enough to convince him. Because it seems his faith wasn't matching his prayer and his service. God couriers a message to him by way of an angel. And rather than open up his eyes of belief, he blinks. Apparently even an angel encounter isn't enough to convince him. One of the frustrations here, I, I think, for us, that to grab hold of the the sovereignty of God in our lives and the grace of God in our lives is that we we can be focused on our serving rigorously and on our praying meticulously. But if at the moment it comes time to believe, we fail to believe, we hesitate on the message then what good has all of our serving and all of our praying done? We have to admit we're a work in progress. And we have to admit that it's really tough for us to to sometimes see the grace of God in our lives. Sometimes we become desensitized. We don't even notice the amazing things that God is doing for us. Those who hang out close to me know that the there are many things that God is working on in my life but not the least of which is in the area of patience. I'm not an incredibly patient person. In fact, I'm downright impatient. I'm always in a hurry to get something done. I'm always on a mission. I, 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 that's the way I am and, and uh, I find Christmas time is a really dangerous time to be in a hurry. Particularly if you're driving around the city trying to start your Christmas shopping and you're in those parking lots where all of the other shoppers are who don't seem to be in a hurry. I'm like, couldn't we all get on the same page? Let's all be in a hurry. We'll all feel better about ourselves and we can get this thing done. This Friday, I think. I was, uh, I was up at the, uh, the Harmony Taunton retail extravaganza. You know? <laughs> Walmart. Home Depot and you know, you know, a whole big deal there. And I was in a hurry, checking out some prices, you know. Checking everything at Walmart first, right? <laughs> anyway, um, I was heading across the street. You know when you come up there by the, the McDonald's, I was I was on the parking lot there, come by that McDonald's is on your right, and you're gonna wing across the A&W's across the street and there's all that other stuff across there. So I was going heading out that way. And as I was driving up, I was in a big hurry, and I noticed there's a great big line on the, the left side, all turning left, you know, all those people? And then I looked, and I thought, Thank you, Lord! Because the right side was clean open all the way through. And so I was booting it to, to you know, you know got to gotta go to that four-way stop, and I didn't want anybody else to go so I could get that thing. And so I was racing there, and I saw, it, like, I'm, I'm on my way to the green light. This is perfect. And then just as I was just about to pass the, the line, this guy at the very end of the line eases his car out in front of me. I'm like, what? And he put the brakes on. I'm like, I'm going to miss my light. <coughs> and he's out making his thing there. You know, he's driving away. And I'm like, eh, come on. And as he drives there, you know, there's that left turn from, as people are coming in, they're going to turn into the McDonald's there. Just as he's driving through there, bang, hits a car. I'll shut my mouth. (laughs) It's like, wow, that was going to be me. And that would really take a lot of my time, wouldn't it? (laughs) In a momentary lapse of faith by Zachariah, in the graciousness of God, God remains faithful. And he says to him, sit down, be quiet, and watch me do my thing. I find God regularly telling me to shut my mouth and watch the grace of God unfold, not because I deserve it, I don't, but because God is gracious. Now you're saying, okay, that's Zachariah, but surely, surely not sweet Elizabeth. I mean, maybe Zachariah had a faith lapse, but come on, Zach, Elizabeth did. Don't tell me that Elizabeth did. I mean, Elizabeth is this um, faithful partner of Zachariah. They are serving the Lord with their whole hearts, blameless in their consistency, and they had no children. And you need to know that in that culture, it it deeply wounded Elizabeth. I don't want to be hard on Elizabeth this morning, although it's going to seem like I am right now. I'm just warning you. Because I think this is a message for all of us in life. God is sovereign and in control and in charge and has fashioned with us a covenant of his love and in his good wisdom has decided that childlessness to this point was the right thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth. As deeply painful as it might be, and would you agree with me that if God is sovereign, that he has the right, he has the right to determine the role we will play in our lives. I mean, that has to be, that has to be our deep abiding understanding of what it means to be king of the universe and, and have a people that you have created and, and have created them on purpose. It has to include a, a conceding to the fact that God has the right. And Elizabeth describes herself as disgraced. Okay, verse 25. She says, God has removed my disgrace." All of these years in the role that God has called me to I have identified myself and there were no end of naysayers around her I'm sure who have called me disgraced. I would submit to you That in spite of how we can understand her hurts and her feelings and her pain, it must have hurt God just a little bit to hear his child, who he has given all the other things she has and life too, label herself in her community as disgraced. What about you or me?
1: What's your present reality?
0: What what has God called you to right now? And how are you receiving that? Do you lift your eyes to heaven at times and say, I feel ripped off? Well, maybe that's how you feel. Is your present situation in existence, one of thanksgiving or one of disappointment? And are you not aware that a sovereign God can change your situation if he wants to? In the perfect timing of a sovereign, gracious God, an angel announces a gift to them. Not because they deserved it. As fine a people as Zachariah and Elizabeth were, they didn't deserve it. And, and by the way, not because God had forgotten about them. As if God is some procrastinator who said, yeah, I've been, I've been going to get around to that thing with uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth for years. And I, I need to get to that. And Theophilus, Luke says, "Get this; you'll love it. Guess what the angel tells Zachariah and Elizabeth or Zachariah to name the baby? John. Do you know what John means? God is gracious. That's what his name means. Can you imagine?" Uh, on, and, and Elizabeth can't help, but at the end of the chapter, she says, It's true, God has done this for me. He's taken away my disgrace with a child named God is Gracious. And not only is God gracious, but this child will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Guys, waited a long time, but look what God has done for you. Look how he has amazingly provided. Many uh, of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord. You go on before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. Do you realize that that before this boy is even born, God has sovereignly appointed him to this mission of grace, God's mission of grace, to take people whose hearts have turned to lesser gods and and encourage them to come back to God, to, to take stony hearts that that would otherwise remain cold and stony to God and soften them to take fathers and and tell them, don't you understand that you have a significant role to play in your children's commitment to the Lord to turn their hearts to God, to take people who are foolish and bring them to the wisdom of the righteous. Theophilus, what do you think? What do you think if we got to interview Zachariah and Elizabeth after that. Do you think they came to the conclusion that God is sovereign and that God is gracious? This chapter is to set up what it means to have a heart prepared for the Lord. And if you are going to have this preparation for what the Lord wants to do in your life, Theophilus, it will require you being firmly convinced that a loving God who purposefully made you is in charge of your life. And that this God who is in charge is gracious and does for those he loves better than they deserve. Our Father, as we, as a congregation, prepare our hearts Or submit ourselves to the preparation of our hearts for the coming of the Lord. I pray, Father, that whatever the disappointments that might be among us, the discouragements, the um, the things that seem to be out of sequence, and the timing that just doesn't seem to be working out, may we not lose our footing on those two central pillars of who God is, sovereign and gracious. And may that, Father, box in our emotions that we might offer ourselves to you wholeheartedly for Jesus' sake. I don't know this for sure.
1: But I wonder as I
0: think about the timing of the Lord. We all know, of course, that the timing was about the center, the real centerpiece of reality, which is Jesus Christ. And everything goes forward from there or backwards from there. But I wonder if, as God was purposing the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he wasn't thinking that uh, I need to place John in a home where the, the mom and the dad are aged by grace. I, I need to place them in a, in a, in a home where, um, where they'll be able to enjoy the passion of their son for the Lord without all of the other distractions that may occur in younger lives that are simply building a home or whatever. And then I wonder possibly if the grace of God was, was this expansive that that he was set out to spare Zachariah and Elizabeth of the horror of the execution of their son later on.
1: By their age,
0: they were probably already gone. You, you know, as we try to understand the ways of God, we, we, need to, we need to know that he sees the beginning from the end. He, he sees the whole calendar of your life. We can't see that. So Theophilus, I, I wanted to tell you this because I want you to know that that what's coming is, is the, the real significant story of Jesus Christ. That not just a, a miraculous birth, but a birth that would change the lives of people forever. will take them from their slavery and sin and set their lives free for eternity. But, but Theophilus, you're not ready for that unless you really have grabbed hold of the fact that God is in charge and God is sovereign but we'll talk more about that next week, Theophilus. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Father and our God. We are grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. We don't know all of your ways. We don't understand your timing. Father, we are quick to grumble and be distressed and disappointed and think we know better. But Father, every so often you, um, you snap something in front of us and we reminded, wow, you are sovereign and you are so gracious because we deserve we don't deserve the least of your favor. So our Father, as you set about to prepare our hearts for this season and opening up our hearts to a, a, a new and fresh experience of Jesus Christ, I pray that we may take whatever circumstance we've got in our life and give it over to you and say, Lord, I don't get it. I'm troubled by it. But I want in my heart of hearts to be settled in your sovereignty and settled in your grace because, Lord, you have told us that your grace is enough. So it either is or it isn't. And in believing in you, we choose to believe In Jesus' amazing name, amen.